When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, Group President, Global Innerwear, Haynes Brands, Joe Cavalier. Hey, what you drink? You know, I, I just I had a conversation at the beginning of season two with Jared Simmons, who brilliant dude, PNG, Coca-Cola, McKinsey, just smart. And one of the things that we talked about was that you have some leaders who have read all of the books, they know all the case studies, they literally just brilliant because they've read about it, they've studied it, they've been to all the right schools and all of that. And then on the other end, you've got great leaders who are fantastic because they've been in the foxhole. Uh, They have invested the money and have saved the business. They've invested the money, they've lost the business, and they've got the wounds and the battle scars to prove it. And my contention and, and where Jared and I fell was that it's it's the combination of the two. It's it's whenever you you sway too much to one side or the other that you tend to get in trouble. How has that weighed in with your success in your career, this idea between the academic understanding of what's going on and the experiential understanding of what's going on? I think you have to be committed to continuous learning, right? You always have to be reading and exposing yourself to outside stimulus or you get what I call you get into orbit. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. And you need things that, that jolt you out of orbit. Those could be people. Those can be other outside stimulus, like taking a class, reading something provocative. It could be changing jobs. It could be changing uh, careers, right? Things that push you out of the orbit. Because every time you do that, you learn you know, geometrically in terms of what you add to your skill set. But, but I really think in summary, you, what you're talking about is it's a mix between the academic and being a student 
and the actual on-the-job experience and learning from each of those, right? That's why you can take people who have the highest IQs and have the best education in the world, and oftentimes those people will fail in really big leadership kind of roles. Because as you know, it's not a leadership role is getting the best, getting the discretionary effort out of every person on the team, you know, that little extra versus being able to sit down and doing it all on yourself because you're brilliant. And there is, now that I'm an older man, there is no substitute for experience. There are just some things that you just can't intellectualize and, and your IQ can't help you through it. You just have to know it. So I think, I think that's right on what you just said. And, and so, as you know, as you think about your listeners, you know, what do you do if you're listening to this and you say, then what do I need to do? First of all, I don't have an MBA. I've got a degree from a good school. And I've often thought, wow, I would love to have gotten an MBA and thought about it a gazillion times in my career. Every time I thought about doing it, um, I got promoted. I even asked people, mentors, to say, do I need it? They're like, no, you don't need it. You're already where you need to be or you're on track to do the next one. Would it have hurt? No, it would have been great. I would have loved it. You know, so I continue to press myself and try to learn from the outside. And, you know, I'll read like, you know, the business book of the year or two, because there's a lot to be learned. You know, I love good to great. You know, unbelievable. I've had, I had dinner with Jim Collins. I mean, I think he nails it. Why do some companies never become great? Because they're good. And that is the problem right there is what he says to open. And, uh, and he gives the case studies of those companies that made that transition. And if you read that book and you think through your own careers, like it's all over the place, the things you experience. You know, we worked for a very good company in General Foods and Kraft, who at one time were great. They, they lost the edge and it becomes that hedgehog concept he talks about. The other book I love is In Search of Excellence. It's an older book. It's still an amazing book relative to the biggest concept there is pick a lane. If you're in, a, if you're in an industry, you, you can't be good at everything. So Walmart, what is Walmart great at? They're an operationally excellent company that delivers everyday low prices, right? So that's what they, they hang their hat on. In fact, they put it on their door, right? We sell for less. And no one in the world at their height was better than that. And, and he goes after time and Nordstrom would be customer service type company, right? And they're fabulous at it. You know, we all, we've, we've experienced that. So, so it's picking those companies that are, you know, what, what, what are you the best at? And I think if I remember, it was three types of companies, ones that are the best in innovation, ones that are the best in their, in their industry and operational excellence, and the last one would be customer service. And so you've got to pick, take a stand on either one of those three areas uh, and own either one of those in your area, in your particular business segment, and you'll be hugely successful. So I still go back to those books when I, when I think about what we need to do, because like right now we're in a big uh, strategy role in addition to operating it. And I've got to do at least 50% strategy and 50% operate the business. I got to change the business and run the business is what we got to do. Yeah, one of the things that you that you mentioned was that you talked to some mentors and you talked to some leaders and they, they kind of gave you some advice around uh, your career and, and whether or not you needed an MBA. But I'd love to talk to you about and, and just get your thoughts around how important are mentors? 
to anyone trying to figure out their career or trying to change their career, how important would you say mentors are? They're critically important and you can't ultimately reach your potential in terms of career ascension uh, without the right support and mentorship. And I, I had it in spades. I mean, I had, I had Rich Wesselowski. I had Ken Bennett, one of my first bosses. And uh, there were times that, man, that man frustrated me uh, to no end. And as I look back with 30 plus years of experience, I recognize what a wonderful man, patient, understanding he was. Um, and I'm still in touch with Ken. Your tireless energy, terrific leader. You know, in a lot of ways, I think he motivated me. I wanted to be like him and work and be that good. So you need those role models. And then I had Wesolowski who took me under his wing. And then Phil Pellegrino at Kraft was amazing to me. You know, I wouldn't be here without Phil. And then there were many, many others that inspired me and gave me support throughout the years. But as I think about those people in particular were the ones that are on Mount Rushmore for me uh, in terms of people I think about um, that made a difference. One story I'll tell you, um, I was um, calling on Pathmark, which is the largest customer for General Foods, uh, which is hard to believe. It was the largest customer in the United States, right? So how times have changed. And this is, <laughs> this is 30 years ago. So, okay, it is a long time ago. I had taken over the business from a guy that had left the company uh, essentially to go on a sabbatical and he'd only been in the job for six months. So he kind of left the company on a lurch and they, you know, I, I feel gladly filled in. It was a career opportunity of a lifetime. I'm in the job. I'm doing a good job. Two years in, this guy comes back off a sabbatical and actually gets the next level up job. So it gets promoted. So I am beyond anger. I am so upset with this decision. And I go to Ken Bennett, the district manager in New York, and I'm like, Ken, what is this? And I'm using unprofessional language. <laughs> unprofessional even for New York. Unprofessional even for New York. And even though, you know, this is where his patience and understanding was important, right? Because he could have said, you know, you're out of line, you don't need to use that, you know, all that. But he, he understood where I was coming from. Anyhow, word gets back to the, the powers that be at General Foods. Rich Wesolowski, who runs the sales force, comes to me, asked me to meet him in the Walbaum's parking lot of Porchester, New York. Um, so I meet him there and he sits in the car. He says, I understand you're upset about the promotion. And I said, yes. And he said, like, he said do you know a uh, story about Bobby Thompson? I think it's the 1959 World Series where the Giants win the World Series. And I said, I, yes, I happen to. And Bobby Thompson hits a walk-off home run and the, the Giants win the pennant right, over the Brooklyn Dodgers. I think it is. I think that's the story. And, you know, and it's, it's a famous story. And he said, do you know who was on deck? You know, first of all, he said, Bobby Thompson, good player, journeyman, you know, did well, but not, not a Hall of Famer. He goes, and who was on deck? And I happened to be into trivia, and I knew, this, knew the answer to the question. Willie Mays was on deck as his rookie year. Rich says, what happened to Willie Mays? That Willie Mays went on to be a Hall of Fame player, one of the greatest of all time. And he goes, you'll get your chance, right? Willie Mays didn't get a chance that day to hit the winning home run. I promise you, you're going to get your chance and you're going to have a Hall of Fame career. What a great story. I remember like, because like, I was interviewed with another company at that point and was considering leaving. 
And his personal interest in me prevented me from leaving. And what a huge impact on my life. Yeah, it was self-serving and smart on his part to do it. But how many leaders wouldn't have done that? Mm. Wouldn't have taken the time. He used my boss's boss boss to take the time to engage me that way. And so I do that. You know, I look at those lessons and I'm like, try to take a personal interest with some of these young folk in our company, because that's the future of what, you know, and we need everybody rowing the boat as hard as possible to be successful. I think that's a great story. And I think that that really does speak to kind of a theme on the past couple of conversations I've had around the importance of leaders taking a long-term view in their people. You, you, you could probably list, and I know I can list those managers that we work for, and it was clear that they were only concerned about the immediate impact of those decisions. And there was no long-term view into the impact that this was going to have on your career, my career. They were concerned about, do we get the ad space on Tuesday for whatever this grocery store is? You know, I, I've got a, a less dramatic but similar story about Rich Wazalowski. If Rich happened to remember me, he would not remember this story. Uh, but I remember when we first constructed Project Westchester, we were all relatively new to the organization and Rich gathered us all together and he had this great speech. And the only thing I remember is he said, you know, guys, you know, all of you are relatively new. What I would encourage you to do is to look high into the organization and find a position that you would love to have someday and then start crafting your career, your development to be prepared for that position someday. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, Rich, that's interesting because I would love to have your job someday. I didn't say that to Rich, but that's what I was thinking. And I'll tell you, that has actually absolutely worked. I mean, well before Stephen Covey talked about beginning with the end in mind, that was my model for what leadership and development was was about. It was it was about looking long term and then working backwards to get the building blocks that's going to be required for you to step into whatever that space is. So l l let's bring that back to, to current day. I mean, as you're sitting in the space that, that you're in now, you've got well much more responsibility than just Pathmark and well much more responsibility than just Westchester County of New York. How do you put those principles in play albeit on a global scale. I mean, does this beginning with the end in mind, does that still have, have does that still hold water for you? And this long-term view of development for the people in your organization, does that still, does that still play well? Yeah. I'm at a point in my career where um, I've been very fortunate to be where I'm at. I always invested a lot in people, but I do it even more now because it's so I get so much more than the people get back on it. And so I love mentoring and giving people advice and, and coaching them through it because I know I made mistakes and I want to, and I've seen people make mistakes. And I think we're all here to help each other succeed and be the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm not terribly religious, but I think, I think that's what, it is, what life's about, right? That makes you really happy if you do that. You know, you may, and you make the world a better place if you do that. So 
you know, I do that every day and with, with the people I work with. I try to I try to actually say to myself, how do I make this meeting, these, how do I turn these people on? How do I motivate them? How do I pump them up? And so I think about that and in the one-on-one interactions as well. So yeah, I approach that. You know, we've got aggressive, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. That's the philosophical approach. We've got, you know, really good uh, training and development programs where we have and are continually improving, you know, relative to my own development. You know, I'm, I'm on the shot clock in my career, but I'm still not, I'm still going to learn and develop. And I still, have, you know, I may go do other things someday, you know, that's the way I think about it, because um, it's a privilege, as I said earlier, it's a privilege to work. I mean, somebody's paying you to sit in really nice conference rooms with brilliant people, travel the world, engage with great customers and solve tough problems and look at great opportunities. How cool is that? I mean, I've gotten to think about it. Now I'm selling underwear, right? You say, how interesting could that be? It's really interesting. It's fascinating. You know, I sold candy. I sold cookies. I sold food. I sold baby car seats in Newell writing instruments, uh, small appliances. When you drive into a, um, a strip mall, I basically call in every customer in that strip mall, is what I, what I like to say, which is fun. How cool is that, right? When you think about, you know, you should think about careers in business as if, if you know, people listen to this. I think about the experiences I've gotten to have as a result of my business career. And I think about, I would never have gotten to do those had I had not had this career. You know, things like, Go to the Masters, go to the Super Bowl, go to um, the World Series, the NCAA uh, Final Four, you know, and I could go on and on, you know, stuff I've gotten to do. That's cool stuff, really great stuff. And I'm there, I'm getting paid to go do that stuff and be with great people. So how like wonderful is that? So I, you know, let me go back to one thing you said, because this notion of strategic career management, which you were smart enough to know in your early 20s. What do I want to do, be, and what are the experiences that I need to build to put myself in contention to do that? I don't think people do that enough. They just, they go to work and they, they just, it just starts to happen. And all of a sudden you wake up and it's 20 years later and you've got two kids and you might be doing perfectly well and happy, but you might have done better if you'd been a little more strategic early on in your career. So I, th- I think it's a big idea there, Galen. Wow. Yeah. Very, very few development conversations go by where I don't mention something that I, I either have gotten from Rich Wazalowski, uh, Joe Cavalier, or one of my other mentors, uh, Mr. Stan Hutchin, who I talk about quite a bit. He made this statement. I want to run this by you. One of my first time meeting uh, Stan I think I pulled him aside at a baseball game or something. I started peppering him with questions. You know, what would you say about, you know, to someone who wants to be in your position someday, that kind of thing. And one of the things he said to me stuck with me. And he said, you know, Galen, the difference between my job today and the job that I had at the beginning of my career is that today I have fewer people with whom to discuss my problems. And that really kind of stuck with me. And as I think about what I do today, that's the space that I feel. Uh, My job as an executive coach is to sit with senior executives and help them work through those problems that, 
you know, if it were 20 years ago, if they were younger in their career, they, they might have a number of people to talk with. But when you get senior, it becomes complicated to share some of those, some, some of those concerns with. How true would you say that that statement is uh, for you at this stage of your career? Uh, I'm an extrovert, and I probably don't have an issue finding people I can talk to about my issues. Here's what I'm thinking of approaching this this way. What do you think kind of conversation? It's a strength and a weakness, right? I'm authentic and I will go out there. Sometimes I, I probably, my wife has told me, you know, why are you trusting that person that way? And I, you know, I basically said, she's right, by the way. But, but I also would prefer to live my life that way because it's who I am, right? And if you get burnt on that, then so be it, right? You know, trust and be honest and transparent. I have had plenty of people, you know, and I, and I have people that I go for different situations. Like I, I have a counterpart right now that um, he runs the champion business. And he's, uh, he's a great guy to like talk, talk through some stuff because he's got a stronger apparel background than me. So, I, you know, go talk to him on that. Got it. We got a chief marketing officer, a guy named Greg Hall, um, who's a, who's a fabulous, like just insightful about human nature and motivation and really good at marketing. So it's like got a handle on like, he's my Yoda on that one. So I, I'm able to find those things, Galen. I, I do think the comment that Stan made though, like there's not as many resources and companies to do that as much as there used to be. And there are people that are, that have a harder time opening up and they, they in particular, you know, would benefit from the coaching side, right. To say, because it's a safe environment, it's protected. You know, I've seen a lot of good done that way. And it's, it's to iron out the rough spots, right. It's to identify and it's not to, it's identify and work through what everybody's got, which are your, your weaknesses, your development areas. We all have them, right? And if you work through them and you identify them, then they don't derail you, right? So I think that's the, that's the key too. I mean, you talk about a long career. What are, you, what are you bad at and how do you work through it? You don't hide it. You own it. You own it. You flat out own it. Because if you try to hide it, people see through that and then um, you're dead. Wow. Well, well man, I, I'll tell you, this has been a great, conversation just for me to catch up with you. You know, w- one of the things that uh, I've promised to my listeners, and they've they've gotten a real treat so far in this conversation, but one of the things I, I promise is that, um, you know, my guests, my friends, my mentors, my teachers would come on and share one or two things that if they're trying to uh, lead an organization more effectively, or if they're just trying to do their thing a little better that we would provide gems ideas suggestions uh, can, can you think of one or two things and you shared so many already one or two things that you would give to to someone who's just trying to do their thing a little better what would you share with them instead of trying to fix or improve on your weaknesses play your strengths for everything they're worth that's what makes you unique and what God has given you that it makes you Galen Galen or Joe Joe. And so hone in on it 
and become the best version of yourself. I said it earlier, right? But don't be embarrassed by that towering strength that you, that everybody's got. And just play it to the, you know, for all it's worth. I think that's a liberating idea, right? Because you're always trying to be some version of some perfect leader that you read in a book or whatever. And we now know that leadership's about authenticity, right? It's being the best version of yourself. And if you do that well, people will follow you. They'll listen to you. They'll actually work harder for you. If they think you're not authentic, there's a dishonesty in that, and they'll disengage from you, right? Even if your intentions aren't aren't bad, right? But be who you are. That'll take you the furthest. That'll help you reach your potential and help you really be fulfilled, in my opinion. Wow. I mean, it's it's as if time went back 30-some years ago, and I'm sitting in your office because that's the very advice uh, I can imagine you giving me then, and that's certainly why uh, even those times when you weren't around as I was making decisions uh, throughout my career, that voice, that wisdom was in the back uh, of my head. And so I want to thank you for that, Joe, and uh, just really appreciate uh, everything that you've meant, not only to me, but to others uh, like me, that who you have served as a leader, served as a role model. And uh, thank you for being on this show. Oh, what a pleasure. I love uh, I love you. You know that. And uh, anytime, be happy to talk. All right. Well, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guest and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.